Hi, I'm Raelle Bell, and you're listening to That's Brilliant, the new podcast from the American Lighting Association. And I'm Liz Ware, and every month we're going to bring you episodes that tell you kind of more detail, more inside information about the lighting industry. It is uh, certainly geared towards members of the American Lighting Association, but also I think to anyone who just wants to know more about lighting. As we know, Liz, working in this industry, lighting affects everything in our life. People might not realize it, but we're spending more and more time in our homes these days. Absolutely. And the way that our homes are lit has a big impact on the functionality and the comfort and just everything in your in your day-to-day life. Well, absolutely. None of the other, you know, design decisions, you go through magazines and you pick the furniture and you pick the carpeting and you put 14 million swatches of paint on the walls. But we also need to focus some of that energy on the lighting because nothing else will look the same under different kind of lighting. So so having layers of of gorgeous light to make all the other design decisions shine in our home, it's important. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. If you don't know about layers of light, go to alalighting.com. You'll find a ton of information. <laughs> and your local ALA Lighting showroom can always help you out. A little a shameless plug. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, I think people are talking more and more about it these days, but the color of light even, I mean... People, I don't think used to realize when you just had the incandescent bulbs, it was like you screwed it in and it looked the way that you expected it to look. But now you might go pick up a light bulb at the store and bring it home and screw it in. And you realize, hey, this doesn't match the lamp that's right next to it on the other side of the couch. What is happening? Absolutely. And and over the over the months, we will get into all of these issues. But this time we're getting into light and health. Apparently having bright light during the day is important for you to be able to sleep well at night. Yeah, I, I when I first heard this, I was a little bit confused. I'm like, is this just kind of a new age woo woo sort of <laughs> made up idea that, you know, affect the way that you sleep by the light that you're getting in the day, how accurate can that really be? Um, You know, and then I started to think, is it about the blue light that we get? We're always talking about that. Are you not allowed to scroll through your phone all night? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I've never done that personally, but you know, some people I've heard. That's your story and you're sticking to it. (laughs) So we're going to actually talk to a doctor who studies this um, as his profession and and really get to the bottom of what this is all about. Well, we have two guests today from the Light and Health Research Center at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount, at Mount Sinai, Dr. Mark Ray and Jennifer Bronze. Mark Ray is a professor of the Department of Population Health Science and Policy at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He won't tell you this himself, but his list of accomplishments and contributions to the study of light and science are too vast to even list here. Check the show notes. Uh, Dr. Ray is dedicated to the notion that our society undervalues light because we don't really properly measure its benefits. We'll hear more about that. He's got a lot to say, and it's really good stuff. (laughs) Uh, Jen is the research program director at the Light and Health Research Center. Since 1997, her work has focused on lighting design applications and human factor studies for new lighting technologies. 
if that doesn't sound scientific, I don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> she has developed lighting designs and specifications for a wide variety of commercial and residential clients. So let's hear from them. But before we jump into that, we would like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Hinkley. Hinkley is celebrating their 100th year in business this year, and they are an incredible lighting manufacturer that is very involved in the industry. And we're so pleased to have them as our sponsor for today's episode. Thank you both for joining us. So what is our circadian rhythm and why do we care? Well, it's the most important topic you could possibly talk about. Uh, so that's why you should care. Um, no, I think that, I think what's remarkable is that I sometimes say circadian rhythms are really the platform of all biology because every species that lives on the surface of the earth uh, have a clock inside whatever neural structure they have. Um, uh, we, we have ours uh, in what's called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, which means it's just outside of the eyes. And we have a direct feed to the eyes from that clock. So that clock is tightly coupled with sunrise and sunset. And if it doesn't see sunrise or sunset at the time it anticipates, and this is what defines circadian rhythms, it's anticipatory that the sun will come up the next day. But if you fly to Paris overnight, you're going to confuse the clock because it's not expecting the sun to rise six hours earlier than what it was supposed to. So it has to go through a re-entrainment so that it now learns, oh, we're in Western Europe and now this is what constitutes morning and evening uh, for my physiology and behavior. Now, this clock mechanism um, is different for every species, but what's remarkable is it's a similar function uh, that we have with um, mold and bacteria. So this is a highly conserved, important platform, as I say, for all biology on Earth. Very interesting. So what you're saying is that this clock exists within all of us and it can be trained. That's correct. And with the proper lighting, it will ensure good sleep and good health. And I like to put light and dark on par with diet and exercise. It, it's just as important. And I hope that in the future, what ALA can begin to do is to carry that message uh, and be able to provide better health just on par with diet and exercise. I think that's really an important concept to get across. So if I'm skeptical about this, you know, you say that, you know, we've got this clock, um, how, how did scientists learn about this? What are some kind of just highlights of how we, how we know this is true? Well, that's a good question. Um, going back to the 19th century, uh, biologists were looking at the behavior of plants and um, what plants will do. Sunflowers, for example, they'll track the sun. But what's remarkable about it is if you put the sunflower in the dark, it'll still track the sun where it thinks the sun should be. And that is a, an anticipatory clock that is guiding behavior that ensures that that particular species, in this case, the sunflower, is going to survive uh, because it needs to gather solar radiation during the daytime. So to maximize that, that clock supports that, that kind of behavior. I think if there used to be a belief um, that humans had evolved past all that and we were, we were free from this clock, we had free will. Uh, we don't have free will when it comes to the clock. Um, 
<laughs> what, what's interesting is back um, in the uh, 50s and 60s, this topic became very interesting to many people. And they literally put humans in a cave, mammoth cave, for 30 days and watched what their behavior was like. They also went through a uh, circadian cycle. Every 24 hours plus, they began to change their behavior, the sleep, they eat, as if they were living on the surface. But what happens is the biological clock is set to be slightly delayed. So our clock has a period of 24.2 hours on average. And so what happens is when you first go out into the cave, uh, you're kind of synchronized with the people on the surface, but eventually you become out of phase that your behavior becomes like Australia. And then it comes back again to North America because our clock isn't um, linked to a perfect 24 hour clock. What keeps us in train though, is sunrise and sunset. So we reset our clock every morning when we wake up or should. And that way we all are trained to our local position on earth, whether it's New York or Melbourne. So if our clock gets reset by seeing the, the sunrise and the brightness of day, um, that brings us into kind of our modern world. And sometimes we don't see the sun for days on end while we're in buildings and uh, windowless rooms. And, and how, does, how does that affect how we live and feel and sleep? Well, quite dramatically. I, I, one of my favorite papers is by uh, Till Ronerberg and Martha Merrill uh, back, I think it's 2007. And what um, they developed was a questionnaire, which they sent to everybody. And they simply asked them, when do you fall asleep and when do you get up during the day? And what they found was if you take that period of mid-sleep, um, and I'll just, as a sidebar, correcting for your weekend catch-up sleeping in, notwithstanding that, it turns out that the people in the same time zone, and I want to repeat for emphasis, in the same time zone, the people on the eastern side of Germany get up aligned with the, with the sunrise so that people on the western border of Germany get up six minutes later on average. So what you're doing is you're finding us tracking the sun basically in terms of not the clock time on your, on your wrist, but the clock time in your brain. Now, to answer your question directly, the statement I just made is for um, Germans who live in rural communities. If you go to a city that has 500,000 people, all of a sudden that correlation begins to break down. And if you go to ones greater than 750,000, like Berlin and Munich, you become almost asynchronous with a natural sunrise and sunset. And this is the opportunity. It doesn't have to be the sun and the, it, the, the trains your clock. You can do that with electric lighting. And since people are getting up in their homes, the ALA is in an ideal position to actually become that sunshine that people get up in the morning because that's where they're getting their first dose of light. So there's a huge opportunity to correct those compromises in well-being and sleep by electric lighting designed properly for the right amount, the right spectrum, the right duration so that people will lead a healthier life uh, and we're not such slaves to the, to the sun in these urban environments. Um, I don't think you're going to have many sales in rural Germany, but nevertheless, I think that uh, 
the city environment is, is a great place for us to begin to think about light strategically. Right. And so you're saying that these electrical lighting products can take the place of the sun as far as circadian entrainment goes, but are there numbers, are there specific things that are required for the lights to do that? Well, this has been the, a central part of our research um, over the last 20 years. And we believe uh, we can engineer um, lighting systems uh, that are energy efficient, not glary, and uh, it won't be like you know, you're looking directly into the sun. So we, uh, we've come up with just a simple, uh, simple way to communicate that. And I, I don't want to be overly simple, but if you have 35 foot candles at the eye in the morning and you don't get above five foot candles in the evening uh, with the same fixture or with a different fixture, you're going to emulate what the sun would do for you. It doesn't have to be that bright to be effective. Okay. And so you said at the eye, can you explain uh, that? Yeah, if you have a downlight and you're lighting the top of your head, it's not going to do you any good. Um, the light has to get in your eyes. And so we're seeing a lot more emphasis on circadian to getting vertical uh, distribution of light rather than the traditional horizontal for reading. So great question. It is at the eyes. If you had a light meter and held it up to your face, you'd want to get 35 foot candles uh, for about an hour. I should have said, too. It's the duration also matters. So, so I went and put an app on my phone this morning that has a little light meter on it. I don't know how accurate it is, but, uh, but I put it on my phone and I stood by my window and it was about 30 foot candles there. So, so if I set up my work desk there to get 30 foot candles of light at my window. Is that better than being kind of deep in my dining room where it's not as bright? Well, it's definitely better, but add a little bit of electric light and you'll be up to that 35 foot candles. Before we get back to the interview, I want to let you know that apparently the Light and Health Research Center is, I don't know, building new labs or something. You will be hearing some construction noise later in the segment. Um, I'd tell you to listen carefully for it, but you won't need to. It'll be loud and clear. Okay, let's jump into a little bit of design questions. I think, um, Jen, you might have some things to say about this. So, what should our members who are designing home lighting systems or selling products for specific applications in the home know? Are there um, specific things that they should keep in mind when they're working with their customers on these projects? Yes, Riel, the we'd like people to keep in mind that, of course, bright days and dark nights, but you don't have to have a glary light fixture shining right in your eyes. If you softly diffused light, um, such as a sort of a larger area source that almost envelops the person that's about arm's length away from the person, not clear across the room. That's probably going to do a good job of comfortably lighting them during the day to provide that kind of daytime stimulant. Um, it doesn't have to be a very bluish, sterile color of light source. It can be a pretty warm color of light. 
but we'd encourage people to avoid using decorative fixtures that just have bare light bulbs in them. They should be softly diffused rather than a view of, of glary light bulbs. That'll be a lot more comfortable on the eyes and will allow people to keep doing their work, their tasks that they're doing in their desk or other things they're doing in the space. It doesn't have to be a really complex lighting system, but what Mark was talking about having high light levels during the day and low light levels at night might benefit from say a dimmer that operates a, a daytime layer of light or switches that have a time clock to turn them automatically on or off, or maybe program an app or something on your phone to remind you to turn down that kind of daytime light level layer of light when you start getting to the later part of the day. So these light fixtures don't need to have special light bulbs in them. They don't need to already, you know, have controls in them that changes them during the day. We can make some improvement with just the lights we already have in our home generally particularly, Liz, if it's a, a type of light source where it's softly diffused and something that you can mount pretty close to where you're working, um, you might be able to make use of some lights that you already have. Or you may want to add another layer of light that you could use for your, your kind of daytime stimulation light, light level. So that's some, one of the things that we end up doing when we do uh, demonstration and research projects. We end up putting together existing light fixtures and probably squeezing a few extra light bulbs in there to get the kind of higher light levels that we need. Um, so we'd love to be able to um, order a light fixture that has all of the all the layers of light we need all built into one, but a lot of times we end up using several different light fixtures together and a control system to automatically switch them on and off for, for our people that are, are working with our lights. Well, that opens us into another topic that um, we wanted to discuss today, and that is that the Light and Health Research Center is actually starting an initiative to work with ALA members to help develop these products that are circadian effective. Is that correct? That's true. We'd, we'd really like to work with some ALA members to to make some products uh, available that not only we for our research, but for people in the real world to be able to use in their homes um, to have a few layers of light all built into to one light fixture uh, that can be attractive and elegant with many different styles that people might want in their home um, in, in many different environments, desk environments or kitchens and other, other places, places where people spend a lot of time uh, during the day. So yes, we'd love to work with, with some ALA members to develop uh, some new products in their lines, to take some of the products they have online and maybe adapt them to uh, this, this use that we're talking about today. Yeah, I know you said that um, you've looked at some ALA member products and you've seen some that could very easily be adapted to fit these needs. Indeed, we, um, we've, we've started looking through some of the, the catalogs and Maybe it's a matter of extending a, a couple of light fixtures or hinging them together or putting them on a mounting position so that they are close to people's faces and lighting, lighting their faces in, in a place where, uh, where this layer of light is needed. Instead of just on a wall sconce way across the room, something kind of close and surrounding where people are, are working. But that's not to say that, oh, sorry, Mark. No, I was just going to add, and your Zoom meetings are going to be nicer too. Uh, because we're, 
to have that light on the face. And so there's that benefit with circadian lighting as well. So we'd all like to look better on Zoom. I know that's uh, <laughs> one of my that. biggest challenges these days. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also going to add to that's not to say that we can't have sconces and decorative fixtures throughout the home. It's just that we're talking about the layer of light that we're adding to increase the circadian effectiveness for the entrainment. Exactly. So if an ALA member manufacturer is listening to this and hasn't already started talking to you, can, can they be in touch with you about, about how they can make their lights better for, for health so that we'll stay in uh, appropriate circadian rhythms and, and not get out of whack? Yes, well, we'd love they, to be able to talk to, to a few. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was just saying, I, I think what we hope is, is a partnership with ALA. So we, we don't want to go around. Yes, we want to talk to people, but I think we have to circle back to make sure that ALA um, is actually fully involved in this not just one manufacturer at a time. I think that that's, the, that's our vision and that's what we hope to accomplish. Yes, we would love to be a part of that. Um, not only working with manufacturers, but also with retailers and designers um, and sales reps to better understand this concept and why it's important and how it can help their customers. So this right now sounds like an, a special initiative to, to design lights that support healthy circadian rhythms. But I imagine the main goal is for this not to be some sort of special program, that this should, in the end, be how lights are designed. Well, uh, for this application, I mean, there's always going to be a place for wall sconces and, you know, under cabinet lighting and all the other things, the richness of lighting provides. But I, I think the, the thought, Liz, is it doesn't mean it's contradictory to mm. illumination for ambient illumination or local lighting that you would do at your desk or something like that. So it, it's not going to, you know, be every application. It's just some applications where light and health are important. And, and I want to add something, if I may. Um, Liz, you alluded at the beginning that you thought this was kind of a new wave, kind of what's the latest fad. One of the things that's important is that, that we can actually measure whether people sleep better or not, which is what we're proposing. And so if you have, and you can get them on just about any platform these days, um, it'll keep track of your sleep. And so what you have is a user who says, well, okay, I'll try it. They should be able, if they follow the recipe of bright days and dim nights, they should be able to look on their phone and see they're sleeping better. And I think that's really critical that it isn't just Jen and I spitballing. Uh, there's actually a proof in the concept that you can test in your own home. Absolutely. And I think we all would like to sleep better. <laughs> so why not give it a try? So we also hear about, you know, blue light on our phones at night is, is, or should we not look at our phones and our televisions after sunset or Don't tell me I can't watch TV at night, Mark. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, it's diet and exercise, right? If you, if you do it well, you can do your phone and you can watch television, um, but you need to be cognizant of, what constitutes bright and what constitutes dim. And the good thing is we can measure that. 
And so I think what is important is before we say yes or no deliberately, we need to know how close are you to television? Um, you do you sit six feet from it or do you sit 60 feet from it? I mean, those are the things that become important to know. So it's hard to just say, yes, it's okay, or no, it's not. But fortunately, we can begin to make measurements. And I think that really leads us to a good recipe for better sleep if we can begin to make those measurements. So I, I know that not everybody has a light meter or and probably very few have a calibrated light meter. But what we hope to do through this program is to give people some guidance like that, like, you know, don't sit six inches from this, uh, sit at least, you know, uh, two feet or sit within two feet or whatever it is, because when you take it home, you won't have a meter, but we can make those measurements in the laboratory and then provide the guidance to the manufacturers to add a little extra than just selling you a product that you plug in, at least there would be some um, wisdom that we could share uh, along it. And I think that's an opportunity uh, to enhance the, the offerings in the showroom or uh, online, whatever it is, to be able to provide that educational material. And when I say educational material, um, it has to be accessible to people. It can't be a peer-reviewed journal in science or nature. It has to be down to something people can act upon and understand. And that's what we have in mind. You say act upon and understand. If if I'm listening to this podcast and and I don't sleep great, so I decide, okay, I'm going to make sure I get 35 foot candles during the day and five at night, and I'm going to um, dim my television and not sit close to it. And how long does it take before you start to see some sort of effects? Is there an average? Well, that's. Such a good question, Liz. I'm, you should enroll in our educational program. Um, <laughs> let me let me take a little bit of a sidestep that I think is one of the most profound experiments that we've done recently. Uh, Dr. Mariana Figueroa, uh, you probably know the name, is the director of the Light and Health Research Center. And she's been interested in um, helping people with Alzheimer's disease um, sleep better. And you know it's a progressive disease, that it's you get worse and worse um, as time goes by. What she was able to show is that by giving them bright light during the day and dim light at night, they consistently got better in terms of their sleep. They reduced their agitation, sundowning went, began to go away, and their depression also went away. Now remember, this is a progressive disease that gets worse and worse. And by providing that light-dark pattern, they progressively got better over the six months that we did the study. So this is not going to be, it's like diet and exercise. You're not gonna lose 50 pounds tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you, you have to stick to a regimen, but if you stick to the regimen, even those poor patients that are suffering from Alzheimer's get better. And, it, and in, now today with the COVID, that also reduces the burden on the caregiver, right? So that means that you don't need, I mean, you, you can en enrich the experience of the people that are institutionalized uh, beyond just making sure they're not wandering and all night long and, um, you know, being agitated. So it, it's a remarkable finding. Um, and I think she's, she deserves a lot of credit. Now we've seen similar results in nuclear submarines. We work for the Navy and we showed that uh, the guys, 
they do what they call hot bunking so that if you have three shifts 24 hours a day and if you can get them to have bright light during their shift and dim bunks at night they sleep better they work better as a team and in fact we got we helped make the navy change its 18 hour days to 24 hour days so that their performance would be much improved so this is not just new age stuff but i want to come back to this point it isn't just jen and me talking you can actually see if it affects you individually by better sleep if you follow this recipe but you're not going to drop 50 pounds overnight that that i want to make that clear it's going to it's a it's a lifestyle and after a month month and a half you should be sleeping better we all put a lot of effort or some of us sometimes some days better than others into living healthily eating healthily doing things to take care of 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 your well-being and and to know about this is just another opportunity to to be able to take good care of yourself and your health and and live a fuller life yeah and the point is the tools are in our hands it, it, it is so important i mean it's most people don't make the connection between bright days and sleeping better and so we need to let people know that this is a really powerful way to improve your health and well-being by something as simple as electric lighting um if you're not out farming or doing construction work, I, I'm not sure we can help those people more than what they can do right now, but most of us are not that way. And this is a real opportunity, I think, to, to make a difference on society with something benign like lighting. And accessible to everyone. Um, accessible you know, to everyone. It's, yes. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be complicated. There are, there are ways that you can do this on a budget and with simple mechanisms like a dimmer and a, a timer on your cell phone to remind you. That's right. That's correct. Thank you so much for both of you for boiling down your life's work into simple, actionable things for us. I very much appreciate your time. Well, I have hobbies too. Would you like to hear about that? <laughs> well, here's a question. What did we not ask? What did we not talk about that you think is important? Did we miss anything? Um, I'd like to do a shout out for design. Um, I think that, it, it, I don't mean to say this improperly, but it really enhances the design. If, you're, if one is a designer, you now have a whole new dimension that really makes a difference to begin to rethink what design is all about. And yes, it might be painful at the beginning, but I hope you're not afraid of a little bit of pain and learning and how to do this, because I think the opportunities, not only for your company, but also society at large are huge. And you guys are right at the spot in the home where you can make the biggest, probably make the biggest difference um, when you get up and when you go to bed. Those are the key times that you want to have circadian effective and circadian ineffective lighting and they don't have to be ugly or blue leds to make that possible so absolutely it's a big opportunity and i think if anyone can do it it is our members because as you know the products are beautiful and just adding a little extra to make them more effective thank you all so much for joining us jen mark we really appreciate your time. Well, I can't tell you how thankful we are for the opportunity. This is what we want to do. Um, 
it's one thing to do neat experiments, but it's quite another thing to make a difference in people's lives. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to the ALA. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. ALA members have access to so many member benefits. It can be hard to keep track of them all. So each episode will remind you of a benefit that you can be using to help strengthen your lighting business. ALA provides free training courses to members. There's a rotating list of free courses on current topics. Current offerings include lighting the home office, which is a big one and fits in with what we were just discussing, when and where to use tunable white lighting, creating a thriving showroom, cybersecurity for residential connected lighting products, and many more. To access these courses, send us an email at podcast at alalighting.com with your name and company, and we will give you the link and the password to access all of these courses. These courses are only available to ALA members. If you work in the lighting industry and want to find out more about membership, send a message to podcast at ALA Lighting and we'll send you information about joining. Also, Terry McGowan, our Director of Engineering, runs a monthly Zoom meeting on all sorts of lighting, technology, and engineering problems and opportunities. If you are an engineer in an ALA member company, we would love to have you join us. Send us an email at podcast at alalighting.com and we will put you on that list. And that's not just for engineers, right, Liz? If you just find this kind of stuff particularly interesting and you want to learn more about it, I know you listen in on those and you love them. It's really open to people to, to get involved if they would like to. That is absolutely correct. I am. Thank you for catching that. It is for everyone who is interested in these topics. And like you say, I'm not an engineer, but I'm fascinated by them. All right. Now it is your turn. Tell us what you think, what you want to learn more about, what interests you. Drop us a line at podcast at alalighting.com. Help us form the topic for our next episode. Thanks again to Hinkley for supporting this podcast. We'll see you next time.